morning and our hearts your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like us I'd like us to start by having us all think about the word unique. Unique, I believe, is a word that is overused, and when used, it is often not used accurately. Here's what the dictionary, good, reliable dictionaries say about unique. Being the only one, unlike anything else, being without like or equal. And I like these synonyms, sole, single, exclusive, exceptional, distinctive, matchless, rare, irreplaceable, and to use a British informal expression that's gaining more and more ground in American English, one-off. Now I want you to think about another word that is probably the very best example of something that is completely and absolutely unique. What word is that? Gospel. The biblical gospel. Now in today's text, Paul is going to speak of a different gospel, but then he immediately says not that there is another one. Recall our earlier series from Mark. Remember Jesus' opening words? Now, let's back up. Remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called Gospels. It's a new word that had to be used to, to, um, uh, to describe what these four perspectives of the life and ministry of Jesus were all about. Gospels. But Jesus himself even though Mark introduces and says this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus himself in Mark 1.15 says, repent and believe in the gospel. Because as we said last week, Jesus and the good news about who he is and what he came to do, that is the gospel, cannot be separated. In other words, you cannot have one without the other. And so it's no surprise that since there's much ignorance and confusion about Jesus, there would also be widespread ignorance and confusion about the biblical gospel. Biblical being an adjective that means the true and authoritative account of the gospel. Now in our series, The Gospel According to the Bible, an exposition of the letter to the Galatians, we're going to address ignorance and confusion when it comes to the gospel. And by God's grace, our ignorance is going to be lessened and our confusion is going to be reduced. In the midst of ignorance and confusion that still resides in our own hearts, Galatians, then and now, will provide clarity on the gospel. If you had to describe Galatians in one word, what would it be? Well, if Ephesians is grace, Galatians would be faith, specifically justification by faith. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 16. In one verse, again, Paul repeats himself, not once, not twice, three times, yet we know 
that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Galatians has rightly been called the Magna Carta of the Reformation, Magna Carta Latin, the great charter of the liberties. I'm not talking about the 1215 English document, but any document uh, constituting a fundamental guarantee of rights and privileges. And oh, Christian, what rights and privileges you and I have through the gospel. In a few weeks, we will acknowledge the 500th anniversary of what retroactively became the start of the Protestant Reformation with the monk and professor Martin Luther's nailing of the 95 Theses on the wall of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And earlier than 1517 and after 1517, Luther was coming to discover that Christianity was not fundamentally what he had to do for God, but rather what God had done for him in Christ. And of Galatians, he wrote, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. I have betrothed myself to it. It is my wife. What a relationship Luther had with Galatians. I don't know if Katie... Von Bora had anything to say, but it sounds like Luther was in love and had committed himself to Galatians. And in his preface to this commentary in Galatians, he wrote words to the effect, for there is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. There is no other alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. If you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own works. Later in his commentary, he says these words that were quoted in last week's Something to Think About. We should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. We will see running through Galatians this expression about salvation that comes out of the Protestant Reformation. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and all for the glory of God alone. The five solas of the Reformation. So the theme of Galatians, faith, specifically justification by faith, and an outline of Galatians goes like this. It's a defense of the gospel, six chapters, 149 verses. There's a, a salutation, which we looked at this last week. Today, we're looking at a denunciation. But in rough, big picture format, here's the outline of Galatians. The first two chapters, it's an autobiography. Paul's personal defense of his gospel ministry and his apostleship. Chapters three and four, theology. Paul's theological defense of the gospel message, primarily justification by faith. And in the last two chapters, chapters 5 and 6, ethics, his practical application of the gospel message to the lives of his readers, Christian liberty in particular. Well, last week we saw the opening statement of the defense of the gospel in verses 1 through 5. The moment, the historical background, the messenger, Paul, the author, and the message, the gospel, we took a look at. And we, just, we uh, learned that this letter was written to the southern Galatian 
churches, the Roman political province in what is now modern-day Turkey or then known as Asia Minor. Paul visited this area and the cities in this area on his first missionary journey. And we believe that this letter, this first letter was written somewhere as early as 46 AD to as late as 48 or 50 AD. And because uh, Paul will see that the gospel is under attack, he knows he has to defend not only the gospel, but himself. We saw last week, indeed, in the first five verses, the message of the gospel. We saw the death and resurrection of Jesus, rescue and deliverance from sin, and also the grace and peace that God provides. Well, just as verses 1 and through 5 introduced in general what will be seen in more detail throughout the letter, so also these next five verses introduce what I believe can be seen to be a two-part framework that will help us organize the letter to the Galatians and thus, by God's grace, be able to better understand and apply the lessons that God's Word is teaching. Here in verses 6 through 10, Paul addresses the problem of the Galatians turning from the true gospel as they come under the influence of the false teachers. Two points emerge from our text. First, the gospel will be distorted. And second, the gospel must be defended. Join with me now as I read, and I'll begin back with verse 1. Paul, an apostle, Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The gospel will be distorted. Among all of Paul's epistles, his letters, Galatians is different. In 1 Corinthians, he writes to a church that is radically dysfunctional due to sin. And yet, amazingly, Paul gives thanks to the church in Corinth. But in Galatians... Paul knows that they are on a trajectory of departing from grace. He cannot give thanks. Yes, he gave a blessing, grace and peace. He he, um, did a doxology to God the Father, 
to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. But, but here, there is no con- commendation that follows that initial greeting. Paul wrote Galatians to counter the false teaching of the Judaizers, Jewish Christians probably coming from Jerusalem, following Paul and others in their missionary journeys, in a word saying you had to become Jewish first in order to be a Christian, and more about that in a little bit. So he wrote to counter the false teaching and defend the truth. Let's consider the tone of the letter. Look at the language Paul uses. Paul is astonished toward the Galatians, and he threatens a curse on the false teachers. He issues a warning to the churches. You are quickly deserting. Quickly deserting. Paul had only been there a year or two earlier, and he's gotten word now that they are departing from grace, departing from the gospel. Did you hear an an earlier moment in the history of God's people? Exodus 32. So quickly, so quickly can there be departure. Prone to wander, the hymn writer says. We see it in Galatians. We see it in Sinai. We see it in our own hearts and lives. He warns those in the church. But regarding the false teachers, he issues a condemnation. And in doing so, as you will see throughout the letter, he commends the true gospel. Notice again, twice he says, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Verse 8 is hypothetical. Um, If we or an angel from heaven should preach. But verse 9 is actual. If anyone is preaching to you. A curse. An anathema. God's judgment. It, It comes from the Old Testament when God devoted certain things for destruction. And you all may remember in Joshua, Joshua chapter 7, when Achan kept some of the banned items that were devoted for destruction. He kept them, and then he himself was devoted to destruction. It's, it's, it's a curse. It's, you could translate this, let him be damned. Let him be damned. Paul could be almost saying, let him go to hell. Paul is exercised. He's astonished. He's indignant. Why? The gospel is being distorted. Well, let's ask ourselves, why will the gospel be distorted? Notice earlier, he writes in verse 3, Deliver us from the present evil age. The gospel is going to be distorted because it resides in a present evil age where the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil is ongoing. Not only that, is there is a gravitational pull in the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl towards self-justification. It will be distorted because the gospel will at first seem to be too good to be true. And as Paul will unwrap and unfold the gospel throughout Galatians, uh, it's going to be distorted because quite honestly, it's easier to be circumcised in the flesh. It's easier than to be convicted in the spirit. 
Grace is threatening, we will see. Grace has an edge because grace doesn't leave you in control. How? How will the gospel be distorted? By false teachers we read. Some who trouble you. They will attack both the message and we will see they will attack the messenger. And whenever the gospel is under attack, whenever the gospel is troubled, the church will be troubled. Why? Because the gospel establishes the church and the gospel sustains the church. So if there's trouble with the gospel, there will be trouble in the church. As we said last week, and this is important, the false teachers we will see were not saying that faith in Christ was not necessary. What they were saying was that faith in Christ was not enough. Again, they weren't saying that it's not necessary to believe in Christ, that He is the Messiah. What they were saying is that faith in Christ is not enough. And it's the not enough part that was a threat to the gospel, a clear and present danger that Paul responded to. And we will see as Galatians unfolds that this at times was not a covert attack, but very subtle. Remember in 2 Corinthians 11, we read about Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. These false teachers did not come announcing, hey, we're going to preach something contrary to what Paul has delivered and what the other apostles from Jerusalem have proclaimed. No, but yet they were as we will see. Now, what does a distortion of the gospel look like? I think you can take a clue from the last few words of the Bible. Do not subtract from and do not add to. A distortion can look like subtraction, taking from the gospel. It can look at like addition, adding to the gospel. In Galatians, we will see the threat posed by addition. Christ plus something else. Then, in the first century, Christ plus circumcision, some adherence to the ceremonial law, some acknowledgement of a necessity of works as a requirement or prerequisite for salvation. The threat came in the form that a person must follow Jesus and rely on the works of the law. Now, to make the works of the law a prerequisite for salvation denies the sufficiency of Christ. Notice again in the early verses, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us. The false teachers were going to be saying, yes, that's true, but. Yes, that is true, but. Today, Jesus plus is everywhere. What could it be? Jesus plus A surrendered life. Jesus plus the strength of my faith. Jesus plus a promise to be good. A promise to be loving. The gospel is being tampered with. And as I was thinking about that, I thought of tamper-proof or tamper-resistant caps or labels. What's wrong with that description? Tamper-proof? Tamper resistant? Do they really resist tampering? No, but you've got an indicator that it's been tampered with. You've got proof 
that something has gone wrong. They don't prevent it, but they let you know. And we will see throughout Galatians indications of where the gospel has been tampered with. What are some other gospel pluses that you and I deal with today? Could it be an overemphasis on good things that tend to push Jesus and His life and death and resurrection to the side? A good thing like a family, a healthy family that takes center stage. Could it be your particular political view takes center stage? These are always threats to the one and only gospel. Because it's guaranteed that the gospel will be distorted, the gospel must be defended. So when it comes to the gospel, we need to at all times be on the defensive. Be on the defensive. This is one time when it's okay to be on the defensive. There's a time to speak and a time to stay silent, a time to act and a time to refrain from acting. For Paul we will see that this is a time to speak and to act. He is writing in response to address this threat to the gospel. Now why? Why must the gospel be defended? At the risk of being accused of overstating the case, everything is at stake. Everything? Look with me. People are deserting God, we see in verse 6. Deserting God. Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This turning has the idea of deserting, transferring one's allegiance, changing a political or philosophical view. Soldiers in the army revolt and desert. Men change sides. This is what is happening. The gospel Paul is proclaiming is a finished work of Christ. It's a gospel of Christ. It's a gospel of free grace. Paul is zealous for the glory of God and the good of his people. Why? Why must the gospel be defended? And how? How must the gospel be defended? Look what Paul does by warning. Paul loves The churches, love demands it. There's no question, as we will see, Paul loves the church. And he even, to a degree, would love the false teachers to the extent that he's willing to pronounce a curse on them for what they are doing to the gospel. How is the gospel to be defended? By warning. But also, we defend the gospel by knowing. We become well grounded in the gospel. We know the truth so we can spot error. Paul will unfold the truth. And it's a good illustration and it works every time. Counter the secret service in charge of part of the Department of the Treasury that deals with counterfeit currency. Does not study the counterfeit. That's a waste of time. You study the original. You study the authentic. You study the true. Why? So you can recognize the inauthentic, the false. You spend your time on the true. That's what you can do to defend the gospel. Spend time growing in your knowledge. And by proclaiming, 
Paul is going to continue to proclaim the gospel, and we are called to proclaim the gospel, to share. Have you ever noticed people talk about what they know and love? People talk about what they know and love. I bet Adam talks about music a lot and piano. Why? Because you know it and you love it. Pick somebody else. Why do you talk about that all the time? You aviators out there, why do you talk about aviation? Because you know it and you love it. Christians are called to know the gospel, to love the gospel, and guess what? They will share what they know and love. We will see throughout Galatians, the gospel is double-edged. It is a word of salvation and rescue for those who believe it. It's a word of condemnation for those who reject it or tamper with it. Paul is making this clear in Galatians. Now, because the Christian religion is both anchored to and powered by the gospel, Christianity stresses what God has done rather than what sinners do to bring about salvation. There can be no improvement on the divine action by any human achievement by way of either ritual observance or moral improvement. The cross is the one way of salvation, and no part of Scripture makes this clearer than does the letter to the Galatians. So we're going to finish up by looking at verse 10. Did anybody think we were going to skip verse 10? Well, in verse 10, Paul asks a couple of interesting questions, especially in view of the tone that he has demonstrated in these verses. Paul writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now this must be an accusation that Paul is facing. That he is a people pleaser. That he is a man pleaser. Now this is stunning, isn't it? As his tone is hardly calculated to win people over by soft and gentle words. Paul doesn't preach the gospel because he thinks it will be popular. Paul preaches the gospel because he knows it's true. Paul doesn't preach it because it will be popular. Paul preaches it because he knows it to be true. Children, I'm telling you this. Popularity does not equal truth. It'll be tempting to think if something is popular, it's true. The gospel can only be defended by a certain kind of people. By people who are resting in God's approval and thus not seeking man's approval. Why? Let's think about that for a moment. The need for approval is wired deeply into all of us, isn't it? I mean, don't we all want to hear, good job, well done, don't we? But the gospel, as we will see in Galatians, has the power to calm the quest for human approval. For in the gospel, we are given the free and full approval of God in Christ Jesus. We are accepted and approved. The gospel in so many ways says, I love you. You are mine, my friends. It is good news. Not only this, but later we will see Paul say, um, by faith, 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The Gospel for Paul is not just for them. It's also for him. And Paul has received the approval from the Lord. Because faithfulness to God and the Gospel will bring many hardships. And this is why the approval of God is the only one that matters in this life and in the life to come. My friends, the gospel is the one central unifying message of Galatians. Indeed, of the whole of the scriptures. And through God's protection and provision, it will, it is and will always be the one central message of grace and peace. This church was not named by accident. Because we are going to continue to proclaim this gospel to ourselves and to others. And may God be pleased to make it so. And may He be pleased to take the glorious truth that we are not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And may He take that truth and whether gently or firmly, as necessary, beat it into our heads continually. My friends, the gospel is completely and absolutely unique. There is nothing else like it in the world. When it comes to the gospel, your life really does depend on the genuine article. Therefore, accept no substitutes, embrace no imitations, and tolerate no distortions. Instead, continue to rest and rely upon the one and only Jesus Christ for salvation as He's offered to us in the one and only Gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are fully capable of distorting the gospel. And we acknowledge that we have not done at times what is necessary to defend the gospel. Father, would you be pleased to give us a growing love for Christ and may we continue to embrace him as he is made known in the gospel and continue to rest and rely upon Him as He is offered to us in the Gospel. Father, be pleased to work Your Word deep into our hearts, driving out unbelief, enabling us to more and more be amazed by the grace that You give us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.